I hope you all took down your Christmas decorations already, did you? <laughs> you seen those inflatable things? Where did they come up with those things? Ah, bouncing along the street. On the roof in Beaumont somewhere, probably. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. But it is peaceful. It's, it's calm. And, and you never notice how nice it is to be calm until you go through a storm. Isn't that the truth? You never notice that. Uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you noticed, um, well, you've no, you, you will know that uh, we've been on a journey leading up to Christmas uh, on the topic of peace. Pastor Chris um, spoke, first of all, of Mary, um, the announcement the angel made to Mary, you're going to have a child, be at peace. He will be the Prince of Peace. Um, we moved on from there to Zechariah with Zechariah's song. He sings out, you know, the top of his lungs, not only about his son that's going to be born, but about his nephew, Jesus, who he, uh, he uses the wor- these words, he will shine on those living in darkness and he will guide our feet in the path of peace. This Messiah that will be born will show us how to walk peaceful lives. Then we went to the shepherds, minding their own business in the fields, tending a couple of sheep. Bam, the angels come, proclaim the good news, right? Unto you a Savior is born in the city of David. He will bring peace to all men, all women, all people on whom God's favor rests. And then finally, Mary and Joseph. After they've had this little one, eight days, they bring the child to the temple. And Simeon, godly man who's been in the temple day and night, um, recognizes this little baby as the Messiah. And he asks if he can simply hold him in his arms. And uh, Simeon prays this prayer. He says, now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace, realizing that the one who would be able to bring peace to the earth had finally come, and he could now depart in peace. There's no way you could have come to church this last month and not be crystal clear on God's desire for this world, for humanity, and you and I, his desire for everything to be at peace. I thought about breaking out my tie-dyed shirt and my bandana today. Maybe a mullet, but figured you might not like me preaching like that. Um, Donna Zupan, though, she gave me permission, so maybe next time I might. Today, we're going to spend just a few moments before we go to the table uh, reflecting on a passage. We're moving from the experience of Christmas from the cradle, the birth of the, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah. And didn't you like that second song that we sung today? If you're like me, it was a little hard to follow. The two things going on, I have a hard time multitasking. But uh, it's a powerful song. The words. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the Prince of Peace. I will live my life for him. Beautiful. This Prince of Peace is born in the cradle. Now as we go towards the table, we know that we're going towards the cross. From the cradle to the cross. And I want to pause just briefly a few moments this morning at a story before the cross. A story that happens just before the cross. Turn with me if you invite you to to turn to the book of John, the 13th chapter. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you there, or it'll also be on the screen behind me. And um, take a look at this passage. Something you just experienced came out of this passage. It was just before the Passover feast. Pause there a second. The Passover feast was 
a highlight in the Jewish community. Oftentimes, Jewish um, members of the community would would set up their lives in a way where at least one time they could make a pilgrimage during Passover to Jerusalem, the capital of the city. Because there, it was an amazing uh, conglomeration of people from all over um, Israel, Judea. They would come for the Passover. They would come for for the purpose of remembering. The Feast of Passover was simply a feast to remember. To remember who they were as a people. To remember where they had come from. To remember specifically how God had delivered them and redeemed them and brought them to where they were um, at that time. So Passover was a big deal. A lot of feasting, a lot of symbolism um, in the meals, in the uh, prayers, in the things that were done. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus and his disciples had gone to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And as we go through this passage, I just want to bring out just a few observations. More specifically, I want us to think about from Jesus' moment of birth through this experience in his life, he lived a life of peace. He maybe not maybe not created peaceful situations all the time because sometimes his words created situations that weren't very peaceful. But he was a man of peace. He was a peacemaker in the broadest sense of the word. How did he do it? As we reflect on this passage, I, I, um, I was struck by, by two things. I think, I believe he did it by his beliefs that he carried with them and by his actions that came out of his beliefs. This first thing here, Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And as I think of you and I entering this new year, entering 2007, what are the beliefs that I want to ground myself in? What are the core things in my life that I want to be about? I think for Jesus, this first thing here, having loved his own in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Turn over with me just two chapters to chapter 15. Keep your fingers there. Chapter 15. What does Jesus mean? I think he explains pretty clearly here. Chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The belief that I want to settle in this next year deeper than ever is the belief that I am deeply loved. Jesus, I believe, lived his life grounded with the knowledge that God, his Father, deeply loved him. It does something to a person to know that they are deeply loved, doesn't it? It does something internally and externally. It brings a sense of peace. Because when someone is loved, they don't have to be concerned or caught up in, in being anxious and being uh, striving after approval or affection there's a sense that they are settled. There's a sense that they're grounded. 
There's a sense that they move through life knowing who they are. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. To the same extent that Jesus experienced God's love, Jesus wants you and I to know that we can experience his love and that he loves us exactly the same way as his Father loves him. That's an awful lot of love. That's an awful lot of love. And this phrase here, so now remain in my love. The word remain can be translated many different ways. It can be um, thought of as abiding or living in or staying in. I like the idea of soaking. There's nothing better than soaking, especially after a long, hard day. Amen? You just sit in the tub and you soak. Boy, there's nothing like that. I got to preach. Okay, back to... Sorry. I think... I think when you and I allow ourselves, we have a difficult time being loved sometimes, don't we? We have a difficult time putting our minds around this idea that we are so deeply loved. And I think there's good reasons for this. I think some of us may have been through a history of painful relationships. Relationships gone wrong. Disappointments, abuse, abandonment, unfaithfulness, brokenness. And it's very difficult to open yourself up to being loved. Other possibilities, and some of you may find yourself in this, that we get so caught up with giving love and being loved and taking care of the people that we need to be loving, and especially our children. We've got to pour out our love and our lives for our children and for those around us that we have oftentimes neglect to allow God to really love us. And we neglect to take that quietness and that stillness and that peacefulness time to allow God to speak His love to our hearts, to restore that love within us. One thing that I want to settle in more deeply this year is the awareness and the belief that I am deeply loved. The second Going back to chapter 13. The evening meal was being served. This literally translated means grub is on. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, so listen to this carefully, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I think... On top of the experience that Jesus had, knowing he was deeply loved. Do you remember the experience when he was just starting his ministry? Coming up out of the water, the heavens breaking open, hearing the voice. What did the voice say? This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Jesus, I believe, carried that with him through his ministry and grounded him. But I believe also this idea that he had purpose. He knew where he came from, the text says. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He had come from God and was returning to God. The Alpha and the Omega. He knew the beginning of his life. He knew the ending of his life. And so everything else in between made sense. 
And I guess a challenge that comes to me as I think about my life and think about the belief that I want to settle into is this idea, this concept, that I am created uniquely in the character of God. That my life has a purpose, a God-given purpose, God-ordained meaning. And it's true, I may not know exactly from day to day what's going to be happening. And I may not know what I'm going to be doing a year from now. But it's okay. Because I know where I've come from, and I know where I'm ending up. And I know that I am a unique creation of God. Those of you who have children, you understand um, You understand when you have kids. You, there, are two, there are two things that you want your kids to realize, don't you? I mean, you can take everything else away, but if your kids grow up and they know these two things, you've done your job well as a parent. The first one is the first belief. You want your child to know that you love them no matter what. Isn't that right? No matter what. I mean, your child can do no wrong. Well, they can. (laughs) But you love them anyway. It's called unconditional. I want my girls to grow up knowing that. I want my girls to grow up knowing they can turn their backs on me. They can do anything but my love will be be the same. I want to be able to have that kind of love because I know that's the kind of love God has for me. And the second belief that I want my kids to grow up knowing, to, to, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that they are unique. They are created in the image of God, and they have a special God-given purpose. And I want to give them permission to turn and to say to me, Mom, Dad, well, they would say Dad to me, Mom to you, Dad, I know that you really want me to to, uh, be a professional bicyclist, but that's not where I feel God's leading me. I believe God has a unique purpose for my life. And I say, hallelujah. I want my kids to be so settled in that. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my vegetable friends. You know what I'm talking about, right? My vegetable friends, Larry and Bob and Junior and... Laura, asparagus. I love my vegetable friends. Every session, you may have seen this graphic up here, every episode ends, Larry and Bob, what do they say, right? Remember, kids, God made you special, and he loves you very much. You can take everything else away. If you have that in your life, I believe you've got enough. God made you special, and he loves you very much. Going into 2007, I want to be grounded in these two beliefs. But the story doesn't end there. The story goes on to action. And it's true, right beliefs usually lead to right actions. And sometimes, right actions lead to right beliefs. I see Mark, my ethicist friend back there, and he would say it probably goes both ways. And I would agree. Sometimes when you don't feel like doing something, you do it anyway. It leads to feeling a certain way. It leads to believing a certain way. But sometimes when you're grounded in a belief, it will lead to actions. And so Jesus, he, um, he gets up, verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. A scandalous thing. Scandalous. Not just because he was a teacher and rabbi, but because his disciples knew and understood that he was the son of God. Holy. 
and yet he stooped to wash their feet. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter emphatically, and the Greek is really emphatic. It has the you and the my right smack together. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus, uh uh-uh. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And the first action we see coming out here is simply the action of serving with humility. Serving with humility. I don't know how many of you caught the news this last week, but um, there's a story that, that uh, was spread all over the news and um, even went on David Letterman. Um, catch a glimpse of it. Finally tonight, the incredible act of bravery that is the talk of the town here in New York. With almost five million people a day riding this city's subways, it takes a lot to stand out in the crowd. But one man's selfless, split-second act of courage sure has done the trick. Here's ABC's David Muir. The headlines say it all. Subway Superman. The modest construction worker named Wesley Autry. It was a typical day with the girls. Not really. Wesley and his two girls, four and six, were getting on the subway. He noticed a young man having a seizure. And he goes like this, and he spins around. He lands, he goes backwards in here, and he lands backwards in that dirty water. The man was sprawled across the tracks. I look, I see a train coming. I look back. He was looking back at his two girls. He said he knew he had to jump. I pulls him up, he falls back. I look, the train is getting close. I tries again. Pump, slip, it's coming so fast. Wesley's only option? To squeeze the man and himself into the trough or gutter in the middle of the tracks. It's a foot wide and a half foot deep. Wrap myself around him so I can get his hands from out of harm's way and his feet. As we going down, my blue hat, the train just grazed my blue hat. Everyone was screaming. And when the train finally stopped, a shout from beneath. I'm their father. Let them know that their father's okay. And let everybody else know that the man is okay. There's nobody hurt. Today, Wesley visited the man he saved, a film student, in the hospital. All we can say on behalf of the entire family is thank you so much. But so many people are asking today, would we have done the same? I think that's in the gut. You have to decide, and that's a good second. I mean, the train was coming. I know the train was coming. Do you think you could have done it? I think I have it in me to do it. I don't know if I had it in me to do something like that. That is certainly one heroic act. Good job. Heroic, yes. But to Wesley, the right thing to do. I don't want people to blow this out of proportion. You, you saved a life. <laughs> a life that is worth, worth saving. What better way to start off the new year than saving a life? David Muir, ABC News, New York. Wow. What a better way to start off the new year than to save a life. Especially if it's yours, huh? Especially if it's yours. I don't know. I've got two girls, and I probably would think twice about doing something like that. Um, acts, acts of service and, and humble. Um, this guy, on, I believe it's on David Letterman, he says when he, when he um, put himself over the man in the trough, you know, the man was having a seizure and moving around. And so he said, excuse me, sir, you need to remain still. <laughs> so we both come out okay. <laughs> Acts of service. It's, um, 
It happens all around us every day. It happens in big ways. It happens in small ways. It happens in ways that are known to all. It happens in ways that are known to none. But it's true that when you're experiencing the love and the peace of God, the natural response is to give your life in service. I don't know about you, but I want to ground myself in the action of serving with humility this year. I want to. But it's often difficult. Sometimes acts of service only have to be combined with speaking the truth in love. Jesus, he washed all of his disciples' feet. And a central part of this story, verse 10, Jesus answered Simon Peter, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean because Peter said, well, if that's the case, then just dump all the water on me. Jesus says, you don't have to do that. For he knew who was going to betray him. He says, and you are clean, though not every one of you. And I believe Judas heard those words and he understood those words. Though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And later on, as they're having the meal, Jesus says, there's going to be one of you who will betray me. And and an action that Jesus portrays all throughout his life is that he speaks the truth. But he speaks the truth encapsulated in love. He could have said this many different ways, many harsh ways, but he speaks the truth in love. And sometimes when you serve people, there needs to be forgiveness that happens. And forgiveness can only happen when the truth is spoken. And sometimes, well, some people say, well, speaking isn't really an action. You need to act to do an action. Now, I believe speaking is an action. And I believe if we stopped to speak and spent more time speaking rather than jumping to action, actions wouldn't be so necessary. I believe instead of responding action for action, violence for violence, you blow up my buildings, I blow up your villages. If we would take the time to speak the truth in love and do the difficult thing, speaking the truth is difficult. But if we spend the time speaking the truth in love, the need for actions maybe wouldn't be so strong. I want to learn how to speak the truth in love. I want to learn how to serve with humility. I want to settle deep within me the sense that I am a unique creation of God. And I want to settle deep within me this idea that I am deeply, deeply loved. As Jesus gets up from the table, he moves towards the cross. And as he goes to the cross, I believe it's these beliefs that are carrying him there that are giving him the strength to do what he needs to do, to be faithful to his purpose. And as he goes to the cross, I can imagine... No matter how much he was beaten, no matter how much pain he experienced from the thorns on his head, no matter the words that were spoken to him, no matter the betrayal that he felt from his disciples, his closest friends leaving him, 
I believe the knowledge that he was confronting he was confronting the paradigms of the world that say to be the greatest you must step on everybody else he was confronting the paradigms of the world that say to be to be strong you've got to trample when someone does violence against you you need to respond to violence and Jesus was saying no that's not the kingdom of God that's not the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is about love and peace and humility and self-sacrifice and that's what we celebrate today we celebrate this amazing action of God this amazing love of God we celebrate it and we we allow the emblems to, to take hold of us and it's my prayer as we, as we prepare for that in song, that God will do that for us.
go out from this table, from this place of peace, to serve a hurting world. We go knowing that the God of peace will be with us. Go where there is disunity among Christians and bring God's reconciliation. We go knowing that the God of peace will be with us. Go where there is injustice and brokenness to bring God's way of peace. We go knowing that the God of peace will be with us. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.